Hello, and welcome to Calibre Audio's Book of the Month podcast. My name is Emma, and I'm joined by my colleague Denise. Hello. And this month, we are discussing This Lovely City, a debut novel by author Louise Hare, published in 2020. A great book to review in conjunction with Black History Month. The book opens in March 1950 and is set in a post-war London that is still trying to recover and rebuild after the Blitz. Here we meet jazz musician Laurie Matthews, who's answered England's call for help and travelled over on the Empire Windrush. He's taken a tiny room in South London lodgings and has fallen in love with the girl next door. Laurie has poured his heart into his new home and it's alive with possibility, until one morning he makes a terrible discovery. As the local community rallies, fingers of blame are pointed at those who had recently been welcomed with open arms, and before long, the newest arrivals become the prime suspects in a tragedy which threatens to tear the city apart. This was actually a BBC Two um, Between the Covers book club pick, and also author Adam Kay, who wrote This Is Going To Hurt, um, comments that the writing is wonderful, London's energy runs right through it. The characters leap off the page. I was truly sad to leave them behind. Now, this is a book that's been on my book pile for ages, um, and I've actually I, I consumed it in two days. It really surprises you. You, you sort of think it's a novel, first of all, um, about the trials and tribulations of those who came uh, to England to find a new life aboard the, the Windrush. And it is that. It is absolutely that. But it's also so much more. It's got a great little murder mystery running through it as well, which pins everything together. And it just had me gripped from, from the outset, really. I just wondered, Denise, what were your initial thoughts on, on the book? Um, I didn't have any preconceived ideas, so I just launched into it. And um, interested in, you know, the first experiences of the people who came over from the West Indies in the uh, late 40s and 50s. Um, and it certainly starts that way. But as you say, it, it it's more than that. There's a, a murder mystery which basically pulls into the story from the beginning, plus the love story between Evie and Laurie. And... Between all of those things, it makes for a really satisfying read. Um, it's a little bit like uh, Small Island by Andrea Levy. And in the same way, there are also shades of uh, the RAF and the contribution that uh, West Indians had played in the war. So that comes into it as well in that... Laurie's good friend, Aston, uh, was in the RAF with Laurie's brother, who was killed in action. And so we have that side of things coming in as well. And all in all, it, it was very satisfying. And I liked the way the book was, the format of the book. And it was very nicely planned. So you have the action moving between 1948, when they first arrive in England... And 1950, when things have settled down a bit, but suddenly the murder mystery kicks off. Um, plus, you have letters being written between Evie's mother, Mrs. Coleridge, and her sister Gertie, and a few newspaper articles related to the crime, which is basically the murder of a, an infant child uh, who's found on... Clapham Common by Laurie. So all in all, it, it's 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 very nicely done. 
I just wondered, just actually, you, you mentioned in that. So sometimes when a book um, goes, but it's not back and forth a lot. Obviously, it's only a two year duration between 48 and 1950. Um, but also with the interspersed letters and uh, newspapers. Sometimes that can detract from the book, can't it? Because so sometimes, it, and you get a bit confused about where you are. But I really didn't feel like that. And actually, I, I really liked the letters between Gertie, uh, Agnes, and her sister Gertie, um, and also the newspaper articles. Um, because particularly, there's one quite near the beginning which uh, is about the Windrush and explains about that. So I knew about the Windrush, and um, but ma- mainly really because it's been in the news in recent years. So that's sort of brought the historical side of it to the forefront. Um, and for those, I guess should explain, I suppose, for those who, who aren't familiar with it, um, the Windrush uh, was a boat. So uh, Empire Windrush was a former German cruise boat, which in June 1948 brought one of the first large groups of post-war West Indian immigrants to the UK, carrying about 500 passengers from Jamaica to London. Um, the actual the official figure was 492, but the, apparently there were some stowaways on board. Um, and it docked at Tilbury Docks in London. And um, that's the, that was the sort of the first the first big sort of. But, but what I hadn't realised also was um, the the fact that they were a lot of them were ex servicemen that had come just as you just mentioned um, that you know had, had obviously fought for for Britain um, and been offered this new life. Um, but what I didn't realise, and again that that came from the new newspaper article that was featured in the book was that they came over with the expectation of a, a new life and a hope. And actually, when they got here, although they were welcomed, they found that there was no accommodation for them. So, And that was the basis of this story, um, where the, the author, actually, the, the inspiration was that she went on a visit to the Deep Level Shelter, which was on, below Clapham Common, um, which actually became the, the dormitories for the Windrush arrivals um, when they came over. Um, and they were they basically um, stayed there for the first few weeks because there was just nowhere, due to the housing shortage after the war, there was nowhere to put them. <coughs> mm. um, and that's where, so that's where the, the author sort of, you know, obviously visioned this story from, which I was just, I was just mm. amazed at that. Yes, I, I didn't realise that was quite a surprise. And like you say, the fact that, Nothing was ready for them. There's a bit early on in the book um, when Laurie has been here for a very short time um, and he talks about uh, following his friend to the entrance to the shelter and it says he hated the place, hated that they'd been shoved down into the bowels of the city, unexpected guests that no one knew what to do with. His mother had said that Britain was an orderly place that everything ran like clockwork compared to back home. But from what he had seen, this country was anything but organised. A plane had greeted them as they sailed up the channel, Laurie and his friends crowding onto the deck to look up in wonder. He had thought it an impressive gesture, excitement growing, until they'd arrived in Tilbury the next day to discover that nothing was ready for them. So they had to go out and look for jobs. They were encountering racism, even for the jobs that really they'd been sent for to fill. Um, so it was very difficult for them. And there was an interesting bit, actually, just uh, uh, again, going on from what you've just said, um, 
where they, they were coming over, obviously believing almost the streets were paved with gold. But at the reality of Britain in that time were people were still, you know, eating spam and um, shopping with coupons and living in bomb damaged houses. So it was very much a Britain being rebuilt. Um, and that, yeah, the, the, and they were... I think coming out of the war that as well that they were still suspicious of strangers and um, and then encountering you know just that the racism was just rife particularly from the um you know when the investigation started with the the and the policeman's attitudes towards them which was just you know un- unbelievable to read really um so yeah they've got all of of this that they're they're kind of coping with but there's an overwhelming feeling of of sort of hope thrill, isn't there? They're very. It, it, I I just really admired the tenacity and the sort of nothing was getting them down and um, yeah, just just really that the characters were just rising above everything and and um, grasping onto the fact that there must be a, a better life out of this. Which I just yeah, I, I really that really kind of shined through for mm. me. And it was interesting the people who were helping them. Some white people, some of the the locals were very caring. Mrs. Ryan, an Irish woman who runs a a boarding house, I suppose, or who shares her house with various people. And uh, she's like a a motherly figure who basically keeps an eye on them. She even writes to Laurie's mother. They have a correspondence where they they. Basically, his mother's checking up on him and Mrs. Ryan is sending the news to her. So it wasn't all hostility. There were a lot of people who were very helpful and caring, um, you know, and showing their basic humanity to people, whoever they were. I don't know about you as well, those people made me smile because um, there was another guy, he didn't really get much feature in, in the book, but he just sort of jumped out the page a little bit for me because um, there was, a, I didn't, not sure if you mentioned, but Laurie has a job at the post office um, as a postman and he um, speaks to a chap there called Bert, who only appears really for a few lines, but Laurie actually wishes that he's he'd had more time to make friends with him because he realises that Bert's, you know, he's, he's really sort of, on the look at it, he's kind of got his back a little bit um, and he just he really that comes from Laurie sort of assuming um, that everyone's going to treat him the same as well so it comes from both sides of it so once you've got that you know that you know you just think that everyone's going to be um, hostile towards you you, you sort of um, aren't very receptive to people when they're they're being friendly and, and yeah he, he sort of said so that was quite interesting as well and it was just it made you smile it was just it was just nice because and again Laurie's keeping his head down he's trying not to invoke any um, attention really and, and that's the other thing so he's not looking out to try and make friends particularly because he's not sure of people's mm, intentions towards him so yeah mm. I think the um, the name of the book is interesting an interesting choice because because it's called this lovely city and you mentioned the fact that a lot of people in the west indies imagine london having streets paved with gold and what have you so there's that side of it which is reflected in in the name but you almost feel like it should have a question mark at the end of it as well because of the reality compared to their dreams, I suppose. So that's what, it was an interesting yeah. choice. Yeah, no, I th- um, there was a review, I think, I read, um, and somebody else said the same, and they said uh, perhaps a, a title um, along the lines of This Lonely City might have been better, which is interesting. But So it was interesting that she went with This Lovely City, mm. but actually... 
when you as you're reading it and particularly as you get towards the the end and as I said that all the way through there is there does feel like there is hope it's not bleak it, it does feel like and um I loved not only the historical concept context context of it but the um the the characters are so they're just so well drawn they jump off of the page mm. like Adam Caser they kind of stay with you mm. um and I just really enjoyed almost to the point that I was sad to leave them at the end and it, it was just, it, it's such a nice, um, in terms of the murder mystery as well, it keeps you reading. So there's that little bit of interest mm. and you're aware that everyone's got a secret to hide. So you're, yes. you're waiting for that all to yes. unravel. Yes. So it really does keep you reading. It's one of those ones mm. that once you start, I think it would be very hard for you to, to stop kind of yes. listening to. Yes. Um, because a, a big theme running through it is about um, unmarried mothers uh, without spoiling the story that's very much the nub of the story with regard to the murder and with regard to different people's secrets as well and the secrets are revealed very slowly through different means so you've got to be on your toes and different people are saying different things to one another and finally you realize the truth and then there's quite a good ending where the mystery is solved and a perpetrator is basically found guilty and, and jailed. Um, yeah, it was and, and surprising as well. And it? very I didn't, surprising. I didn't see it coming. Yes. So um, that was yes. the other thing, which it did. It took you off on a... It was taking you down a path, but mm. only to bring you back down another one. So, yeah, that's, again, another reason why I really liked it. Um, it's a good example of social history as well, I thought, just in terms of what it captures. It really captures the essence of the time of the coming out of post-war um, sort of 1950s Britain, how people were coping, the, the fact that everything was still bombed and, and they were trying to rebuild. But also there's mentions of um, where... Laurie and his band go and play so the jazz musician Laurie plays the clarinet and um, they take whatever jobs they can around the clubs in, in London um, but they mention the Lyceum Theatre and they mention also the building of the Royal Festival Hall mm. which I didn't realise I thought it was older than that so again that was a well no a because it was being built for the Festival of Britain you so see, yeah. yeah yeah. so I learned uh, again so it was and, a, and the other interesting thing they mentioned when they talked about that was that some people were against the building of it because of all the money that was being spent on that when people were still they were still rationing people uh, were struggling and so there was a I'd never heard you know the other side of it that a lot of people thought it wasn't a good time to be doing it oh right no, I didn't. So, and, and actually, because um, that comes into it with the sort of the there's a, a bit of a black market undertone, so isn't there with with people dealing in um, things like real commodities like sugar, uh, which you take for granted, you know, bowl of sugar on the table you take for granted now. So it's that sort of thing is really, uh, really I found really interesting as well. Really, um, yeah, just and just kept me reading. Really, I have to say. Mm. Um, what it one of the main topics of it as well. <clears throat> I don't know if you agree, but. I felt all the way through there's an underlying theme of what you called home. So what home was to you and what, what makes a home a home and how does it become a home? Um, and that was, yeah, that that was quite strong, I thought. I felt that all the way, you know, and it made me think, actually, what mm. if I went to another country, you know, potentially sort of not speaking a, a language or not being able to be, be understood, um, and uh, featuring and basically um, and also experiencing um, where 
potential sort of prejudices or, or that I'm an outsider coming in, taking jobs and that sort of thing and how I would adapt to that. So it's, it's very much, yeah, it makes you think sort of really because um, it's so strong. It's such a, a strong feeling all the way through of identity and who you are and um, you're, you're just trying to come in basically build a better life but also the, the other thing was was um the immigrants were coming to do us a favor as well there's, there's so many jobs that needed filling um so yeah it was just it, it really it sort of hit that home a little bit really and that that was another thing to think about through it hmm. yes i think it illustrated the fact that you've got to make yourself a home wherever you are wherever you've come from and that basically home is the people around you yeah. who are on your side and looking out for you and, and vice versa as well. And they weren't all just black uh, West Indians. Also, the white people were part of this home and the people that they made alliances with and friendships and what have you. So just as a kind of final topic point, really, then, as we've mentioned before, there really is a, an array of characters that, that stick with you. Um, did you have any favourites, Denise, going into it? Um, I like Delia. This was Evie's best friend from when she was four years old. They've been through school all t- together. They end up uh, in the same employment and they see one another every day. Um and then the worst character was Mildred, who was also at school, knew them as long as Delia and Evie were friends. And basically she hated Evie and took every opportunity to call her out, make her look small. Um, because the interesting thing was that Evie herself is mixed race. So although she is English and a resident of London, her mother is white her father was black he's not on the scene and so Evie herself you hear about her experience of being black in a very white society but from a slightly different angle and Delia obviously doesn't see any of this she she's on her side um and at one stage Evie goes and lives with Delia and her family and this is back in you know, in the 50s. So I liked that Evie had Delia and that Delia had Evie as well because she was a very engaging personality. Um, so, yeah, that's the one that stuck out for me. I have to, I mean, I, not to be a bit um, cliche, I suppose, but I really just love the, the main character, Laurie, um, and also, but also his whole band that comes with him. So um, jo- it's Johnny's band. Johnny's the, the leader um, and... Uh, Laurie plays clarinet and then you've got Moses and Sam in the band as well but to me I think it was, that harps back to my childhood as well because my dad was a big jazz fan so I could really pitch that but also the the nature of the fact that music whatever whoever you are brings people together and that's I like that part of it as well but Laurie for me he was just someone that was so in, intensely good that wanted to do well and you know wanted to work and wanted to provide and and wanted to be that better person and just find um you know find a better life for himself and for those those around him and he's not without his flaws you know he does there's things in the story that he's he's not proud of but he admits to it moves on you know he tries to to make the best out of everything and it was just that determination and i guess sort of overcoming things as well you know he's he's faced with these um situations and for him to 
in certain situations, you know, keep his mouth shut where you just want to scream at people that are, are dealing with him. That it, to, to me, that again showed, it just really showed the character that he was. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed him really. Um, so yeah, but again, all the characters, sort of Mrs. Ryan, the landlady, was just, she's the sort of person you want as your next door neighbour, isn't she? So uh, yeah, there, there were lots of people to, to like um, in this story. And just, and again, that, as I say, a, a character base like that just keeps you reading. We hope you've enjoyed listening to October's Book of the Month. Next month, as the nights begin to draw in, we've chosen an atmospheric ghost story called The Mist in the Mirror by Susan Hill, author of the classic ghost story, The Woman in Black. This story begins on a dark and rainy night where Sir James Monmouth returns to London after years spent travelling alone. He starts researching the life of his childhood hero, Conrad Vane, but it is warned off at every turn. Who is the pale boy haunting his every step, and what of the chilling screams and desperate sobbing only he can hear? So, join us next time for that, and in the meantime, it's goodbye from Denise. Goodbye. And goodbye from me, till next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.